I'm Charlie Hipwood, CEO of Mass Ventures. And I'm Stacy Swider, an investor at Mass Ventures. And we welcome you to the Fundable Founder, where we'll be exploring relevant topics for technology entrepreneurs to help them succeed in raising capital and in growing their businesses. As a founder who started and ran three companies, I didn't know what I didn't know when I first set out. <laughs> but you eventually figured things out, right? For the most part, through trial and error and mentorship. But now as a VC, I'm frequently advising entrepreneurs on the same topics. So Stacy and I are here to share that earned wisdom with you, along with the experts that we interview on a variety of subjects. We are. The roadmap to a successful startup is at your fingertips. So turn up the volume and grab the keys to success for your fundable founder journey. Hey, welcome. I'm here today with uh, Bob Bishop, who's a partner at Goodwin Proctor in their technology group. Uh, we have 20, 30 years experience now, Bob, working with startups and high growth companies. Uh, going on 25. 25. Okay. So, yeah. yeah. So, uh, and. Bob, longer than I ever expected. Yeah. <laughs> and Bob's been a trusted resource for me over the years as a founder and, and as a VC. Uh, and so we're here today to, Bob's going to share kind of some do's and don'ts, uh, you know, at a high level for founders when they think about incorporating their business and other things. So uh, thank you for joining us today, Bob. Sure, my pleasure. Happy to, happy to help and thrilled to be involved here. Awesome. Well, so let's just kick it right off. I mean, what are the biggest mistakes that you see founders make? I see founders make mistakes all the time, but what are the ones that you see uh, from a legal perspective? Yeah, no, it's a great, it's a great question. So um, there, there's a handful that come to mind. The, the first is, um, you know, it, it, particularly if, if th these are companies that are looking going to one day look to raise venture money, like a lot of times we'll run into companies that incorporated in some other jurisdiction, you know, maybe to save franchise taxes or something like that, because it might be a little bit cheaper, but the vast, vast majority of companies that get uh, venture financing, unless there's a regulatory reason not to, like they're going to be some kind of fintech company with a bank component or something like that. I, I really would recommend incorporating in Delaware. Most venture capitalists will insist that they move to Delaware when they do the round. And it's just, it's more complicated and more expensive to do that flip at the time of the round when you've already got a cap table than it is just to incorporate on the front end and pay a little bit more in terms of franchise taxes and having maybe having to foreign qualify in another state. So that's certainly one that we see. Um, we also, you know, often see issues where appropriate IP ownership documentation is right. in place. That can be critically important, particularly if there's a falling out and the person who should have signed didn't. So I think making sure you get these IP and assignment in place, in place, not only with the founding team and the employees, but also any third-party consultants who are developing code. And there's a, there's actually a big difference between I promise to assign versus I hereby assign. And you want, I hereby assign. Because the difference those few words can really matter to whether or not you currently own the IP or you have to go try to enforce that promise against somebody to actually get the IP. And these are the types of issues that venture funds and investors and seed investors will look at and focus on because it's critical to the company to make sure it owns what it thinks it owns. Um, others we see are, you know, uh, vesting issues. And the, it's, it's kind of interesting when you ask a founder about vesting on their shares, the natural instinct is to think about it from their own perspective. Well, I don't want vesting on my shares because if I leave, I don't want to give up my equity. But what you should really be thinking about is what if your co-founder leaves? And so even if in, in, in inevitably, when you get to a venture round, the VCs are certainly going to require vesting on your shares. So it's better to be more thoughtful 
putting appropriate vesting. So if there is a falling out with a founder and he or she leaves, that that amount of capital is in, um, um, that amount of equity on the cap table isn't leaving with that person because that can create a real strain on a cap table. If you've got a founder owns 30% of the company is not a continuing service provider, it's hard to make up that lost ground and finding enough room for everyone to fit on a cap table going forward. Um, other issues are option grants. I think by the time you know uh, a company gets around to granting options, they certainly should be talking to a lawyer. Um, you can create tax issues if you don't um, if you don't follow the right protocols in terms of having board approval, getting a valuation done under 49A. So certainly wanted to be um, mindful of, uh, of you know, talking to a lawyer, making sure it's done right when you're granting equity in particular options because it can really trigger um, some adverse tax consequences. And then the last one is, um, and, I, and I realize this happens a lot, but not paying service providers. Um, I know you can go into lots of, you know, shared workspaces or virtual workspaces, talk to lots of startups and, and these startups don't have the, the resources to pay their employees, sometimes at the early stage, but the, the wage acts don't discriminate against those who can pay and those who don't pay. That's and right. if there ever is a problem That's on right. the back end where there's a lawsuit over wage issues, uh, the ramifications can be meaningful. The officers and directors can be li personally liable. There could be treble damages. Attorney's fees can be recovered. So we've seen situations where relatively small claims where somebody was maybe entitled to ten or fifteen thousand dollars of back wages because they weren't paid minimum wage could potentially be you know the company and, and sometimes the officers and directors could be on the hook for a multiple of that because you throw in the treble damages and the attorney's fees so something to always keep in mind to try to make sure you can pay that minimum wage uh, or, or minimum salary rate for employees um, who are providing services um, and, and be mindful of that a few companies and I went to some online resources to help me incorporate and uh, issue shares. And I found that to be a mistake uh, for me personally. Um, when do you recommend that people go seek out a counsel, seek out a good lawyer to help them with incorporation and other things? When should I be talking to yeah, you? I, I, I think it's better to start talking to attorneys early. And I think if you are gonna use online resources, I think you try to find one that's um, uh, hosted by, uh, you know, a, a law firm that does a lot of work in this space, whether it's Goodwin's Founders Workbench or some of our other firms who who have those resources. But And I think and those resources are great. There's a number of them out there, but I think you want ones that are more oriented towards venture-backed businesses. But I, I would recommend talk, trying to talk to lawyers earlier, start to interview firms that you might work with. One, you'll get to know people who are out there in the ecosystem and you'll, you'll learn a lot from that um, experience. Even if you don't hire them, I think a lot of times there's some free advice to be gotten in just the interview process and getting to know people and, um, and, and, and in terms of learning about these do's and don'ts like the things we're talking about today and getting out in front of issues or at least knowing, okay, like somebody has told me like, here's the five or 10 things I need to really worry about. And I need to make sure I'm actually have hired an attorney by the time I get to that point too often we're coming in and playing cleanup on the back end, as opposed right. to having that chance right. to like give them some advice on the front end and say, hey, before you grant options, you really should be talking to us or one of our competitors or another firm because the mistakes you make there, it's hard to clean up on the back end. Or So I, I would always say earlier, the better, and, uh, and you'll get some helpful advice along the way. High level, do I incorporate it as a C-Corp, an S-Corp, LLC? It's confusing. 
Yeah, this one can be a little, little bit fact specific, um, but you know, I would say the, the the vast majority of of companies that are going to raise venture money, the, the C corp is typically the way to go because most venture capital funds, um, the way that they're set up and the the requirements they have to their limited partners that they need to invest in in corporations. There's also some you know, tax benefits now and being a, a corporation in terms of the qualified small business stock rules that can be advantageous if people meet those requirements. Um, so, so typically most of the technology and tech enabled business and life sciences companies are, 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 um, are C-Corps um, because of the nature of the folks who invest in them and the kind of limitations that they have. Um, occasionally there are scenarios where an LLC makes sense. Um, Often, if you're not going to raise venture capital, and you might skip it into more like skip and become pro that step and get to the point where you can um, raise capital for more like growth equity oriented or private equity investors at a much later stage. Um, and, but it, it is a question that I think before making that final determination probably does make it that makes sense to, to talk to a knowledgeable attorney or um, or tax advisor on that issue. But again, I think the the significant majority of kind of typical tech-enabled businesses tend to fall into that C-Corp um, paradigm. That makes most sense. Yeah, that's that's really helpful. And I've I've certainly seen a lot of times that company it's it can be challenging to change, right? From an LLC to a C-Corp, and there's lots of implications and other things. And so getting it right at the beginning and answering those questions about, well, do you plan on raising venture capital? Well then most likely you're over here, but there's a couple of examples where you might want to be an LLC. And again, you're only going to get that, um, you know, get that good advice from someone like yourself who's got a lot of experience. That, that, that's right. I think in, in making an informed decision and doing it right is always better than uh, having to do it two or three times and, and kind of fumbling along the way. So, so uh one more question, and then we're just about out of time, and we'll drill down on some additional topics, hopefully at a future date. But, you know, what's the most challenging question you get from founders on a regular basis? Yeah, this one's an easy one. How do how do I split my equity with my co-founders? Because there really is no great answer to that. Like, there's no I should say no standard answer to that, right? It's very very fact specific. It's it's all about relative contributions, relative to commitment, relative opportunity cost, right? Like, am I leaving my job that's paying a lot more money to, to take on this opportunity? Am I, you know, do I have some IP that's critical to this enterprise? Maybe I've got some patent rights that's being contributed. What's my relative contribution that's supposed to be going forward between the teams and who's really going to drive value? It's somebody part-time versus not part-time. So it's a very difficult question. We get it very often, and it's really like, the founders need to, you know, sit around a table and think about what is the relative value and get get that square. And it's that's another thing you need to get that sorted out very early on. And I would recommend the Vestney as well too, because if there are issues around who owns what, and you continue to progress with the product or the technology or the business plan, and you don't get that sorted out, it can really become a an issue with financing if there's some sort of um, lack of harmony on those issues when you get to that next critical stage. So I would, I would put that as like, you know, issue number one that you, the founders need to figure out and start getting their head around much earlier in the process. So. Uh, for sure. That's an issue that I see all the time, right. Where people did not give it thought in advance and it requires long 
hard discussions often between founders to figure out how that split should happen. It's not just a third, a third, a third. It's not just, um, you know, someone who's more senior gets 80% and somebody who's more junior gets 20%. It's, there's a lot of things to be considered. And uh, I think that's going to be a whole series of videos uh, coming up. I think I could make a career out of being just a counselor for founders on how to split, how to, how to split their equity. Agreed. Or maybe at least write a book and it could be a, be a bestseller. Well, thank you so much uh, for your time today, Bob. We will um, definitely, hopefully look forward to diving in on some of more of these topics uh, going forward, uh, but really appreciate your advice today. Uh, thank you very much. My pleasure. Take care, Charlie. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Fundable Founder. Please go to our website at mass-ventures.com for more information on Mass Ventures and where you can also find other episodes just like this.